0: That one's driven deep to left field, going back up to turning, looking, see ya!
1: A bullet home run into the seats for Castro, and the Yankees are on
2: the board. They lead 1-0.
3: Done with a lot of seven and nine bullshit here so far out of the gate. What's
0: that? Oh, just how that went. <laughs> yeah, if I had to power rank my opens and how I cut them and how many times I had to do it, that would be the that'd be easily the leader in the clubhouse for worse this year.
3: Well, we uh, have been waiting a long time. I mean the the anticipation, the waiting, the press conferences, the announcements, and finally, the World Cup of Hockey has begun. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not what I meant. It's football season,
0: right? Is it wrong uh, as a Sabres fan that I might be more interested in the friendly? Yeah, it's silly. It is silly. Yeah,
3: it's really silly. Yeah, yeah. If you're like that, starts at eight, and the game doesn't probably start, probably kick off is until eight forty-five. If after that first period of that game, you're still looking in on that, yeah, you're being silly. If it was a game in the actual tournament less silly. I
0: I know part of my problem is I am a fantasy football fan probably on equal ground with my actual football fandom and hopefully I say this every year but hopefully the bills will change that they've kind of driven me to this but I don't have any fantasy players on either team In, in all the leagues I'm in I don't think I have anybody tonight so it's definitely an interesting game from a purely football standpoint but I have no one to root for or against that I can think of.
3: It is Season 6, Episode 24, September 8th, we'll call it, 2016. Trey Wingo is on today. Don, did you know Trey Wingo has 950,000 followers on Twitter? Wow. Yeah. So I told him we'd be the the appearance to kind of boost him towards the million. (laughs) Good. So Trey Wingo will join us after three things. Also, Matt Yoder is on to make his yearly, yearly stop in to talk about Saints football and awful announcing and the comeback, the two sites that he writes for, kind of taking a step back from the... Editing work at awful announcing so that he could do a lot of the writing at the comeback, which I think was happened when dan Dan levy split on them at the comeback okay and went to some Philadelphia exclusive site or something hmm That Dan levy he bounces around,
0: yep, yeah, I still follow him on uh, he has the son that was in the comic book right yeah 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 I st- still follow him Iron Max. That's right. Yeah. yeah.
3: Uh, on the show today, I, well, I said that already. Last week we had two shows, which was fun. We had S.L. Price and Aaron Schatz on the one, and Bruce Feldman and Danny Kelly on the second. Thanks to everyone who emailed and uh, and also tweeted to tell us that it wasn't in iTunes for a couple of days. Thank you. I need I needed all thirty reminders. I wonder I why. I got. Remember, it didn't go. Oh yeah,
0: yes, we had a problem yes. with the database. Yes. Yeah. So
3: thanks to everyone who. <laughs> it's nice to know you're there, actually. I, I don't mind it. It gives me a clue that there's a pulse. Yeah, there's people listening. Yeah. The book club returns today. A couple announcements there, and we'll finish with one last thing. Let's play a game. All okay. right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Your best yep. Now let's move on to other business So it's been an interesting day the last couple days because for the first time pretty much all summer, coaches have been forced to acknowledge injuries. you know yeah. it was kind of at their discretion during the preseason how much they disclose and we haven't gotten into it, but the injury system has changed. Yes, they did change it, which is gonna be a pain for fantasy. Hopefully yeah, but- you've adapted our. Injury replacement system Because you're going to need to now Yeah or some sort of Backup rule something. There's got to be something Because yep. you can't just expect I mean the Patriots going to have 35 guys are questionable next week Right yep. You know what I mean So I mean, what are you going to do But uh, uh, Speaking of the Patriots That was one of the injury Things that kind of Popped up out of nowhere Gronk is week to week With a hamstring issue I did not hear that He, wow. ho- he hopes to play this week But you Yeah know. I love that
0: if, Like you said Fantasy player
3: Yeah First round draft pick. pick Yeah so he's all of a sudden he's all of a sudden taken ill with a uh, hamstring injury.
0: I'll say as a fantasy fan and maybe even as a real life football fan, I'd almost rather a guy just just don't play. Tell me ahead of time you're not going to play. From a fantasy perspective you can replace him then. From a real life perspective just, you know, just get better.
3: Yeah, if you're going to be out, be out kind be of out. a thing. Yeah. Jamal Charles is probably doubtful. Probably not going to play. Yep. I'm amazed how many leagues I have Spencer Ware in because I don't have Jamal Charles right. in any of them, right. and I wonder how people let that happen. Yeah, I saw
0: you chirping a local Bills reporter a little bit about
3: that. Like, he took a second tight end and lost out on Ware. Spencer Ware, yeah. It's like, come on, buddy. You can't take a second <laughs> tight end and then get that guy snatched from you. Especially because, with
0: West Hurt, too. So Ware will be the undisputed stuff. You know, the
3: second week, they're not home. So they could easily hold Charles out to the first home game. Yeah. And then they have like a week four or week five bye. So you know how this stuff happens.
0: I didn't end up drafting him in any leagues, but I swooped him up real quick. In a in a, in a league with limited roster very limited roster moves, I figured he was worth it.
3: Where? Or Charles. What where? We talking? I okay, dra- where I yeah.
0: swooped up where off the waiver. I drafted
3: him in a few leagues because I just had gotten the impression from Stefania Bell and others that Charles Charles wasn't going to be ready right away. And of course, you know, in the whole, you know, 30 plus running back and two ACLs and, you know, where it's shown a lot of promise. So I figured it wasn't bad. Drew Brees' contract is done. Uh, That's basically a one year extension, essentially.
0: Yeah, I didn't even know he was up for.
3: He had one year left. If you recall, so there was just... a lot of discussion about how he was going to have the biggest cap hit in history because okay. he had gotten to the last year of his deal. Okay, you know, but that that isn't isn't a worry. Um, Arian Foster is going to start in Miami at running back to start the season. Yeah, uh, Joey Bosa ended his holdout, but he's not going to play Week One. Practice does matter, even if you're picked third overall.
0: Isn't he a linebacker or something? Yes. Isn't that a position they kind of say is all about instinct and?
3: Yeah, well, he's know. out. He's
0: your first pick? Are they really? Are they really punishing him?
3: Maybe. I mean, I, I don't know. I is think it's it, what a messy situation. I think it's partially injuries. Oh, okay. I think when he came back after sitting out a while, I think he got injured. Mm. You know, like kind of like a soft tissue, like sure. just like a Pull oh he or something came up lame. I think yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah. more something like that. All right. Um, J.J. Watt is questionable we kind of knew that yeah right there's some details yesterday about just how bad it was at first for him the initial surgery
0: yeah i was surprised he was even this far along it seemed like when it first happened it was he was for sure out
3: for some time uh doug baldwin who's often known as angry doug baldwin announced on twitter today that the seahawks are going to do some kind of pre-game demonstration of unity during the national anthem
0: Yeah, sounds like they're all gonna kneel
3: Oh, you think it's Neil? I think they're all going to kneel. The man. whole team, something like that. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking it was the opposite.
0: They're all going to sit or stand?
3: I was thinking they were all going to like stand arm in arm or something.
0: Oh, kind of like the Giants did.
3: Yeah, the one game. Yeah, I don't know.
0: I th- this is the biggest. I don't want to get too for into me, this non-story. Yeah. Like I, I just don't care. Like, and from my point of view, like, do I agree with it? No, but I can't think of a less, a more harmless way for someone to protest than to.
3: Here's the thing, though. I mean, you are making it about you and sure. what you want, right? I mean, this is a team sport. I mean, and you don't own the team.
0: Well, that's that's the one thing I did say to somebody that I I do agree with that. Like, the only people I think that should really be pissed, specifically at like Kaepernick or Kaepernick's teammates, because they're going to have to answer stupid questions about this. And there's a
3: lot of people who are quick to point out when Kurt Schilling is fired that Kurt Schilling had the right to. Say, sure. and post those things on Facebook but ESPN had the right not to imply. yeah them. I, I mean I guess and if, the same goes for Colin Kaepernick. I guess go, if
0: the 49ers wanted to do something I they guess they have could. that right I just it probably wouldn't be a good look to say you have to stand I, I don't know I, I don't know how this I know it to me it's it's totally a non-issue uh, at least in my world and it's the only thing I've heard on sports talk
3: oh it's brutal I, yeah let's it's enough I, I just saw that I guess we'll see what Seattle does that. I, I was thinking it was the opposite. Yeah. That
0: they credit. He said he was going to give money to a cause, so he's man, putting his right. money where his mouth is. What, whatever. I, I, it's it's mostly harmless. I don't know.
3: Uh, what else are you excited about with footballs back? I mean, what will you be watching on Sunday? Oh, I got the Sunday ticket for free. Oh, sweet. So, sort of. I called, and this is a tip for anyone who has Drag TV. When you're out of contract. You can pretty much get anything you want to for them to be able to get you back in the contract. Sure. So I knew I was out of contract this year, so I called. Said, you know I'm a loyal subscriber since 2009. You know my next door neighbor, they just moved in. They got the NFL ticket. They're getting it for free. My neighbor's bragging to me. I've been a customer this long. <laughs> I'm paying this amount. So
0: you do get it for free as a well, new customer. The new customers get it for oh, free. Okay.
3: So what she did was, now sometimes you call, you get a company person, and they'll call your bluff. And they'd be like, all right, you want to cancel? We'll come get our shit. Okay. You know, you just hang up and you try again. Sometimes you get a person who will try to get you the best deal they possibly can. And I got lucky. This lady's like, oh, I just did this for someone. She's like, hold on a second. So, like, first she took $9 off to get it down to 50 She's like, that's going to be important. Then she found me some $50 credit that lasted 12 months. So I get the credit for six months longer than the six months of payments for the Sunday ticket. Oh,
0: per month, you're getting $50 off. Yeah, so the first wow. six
3: months, it'll cover the ticket. And then after that, it'll just be $50 credit. And then she also filed me a credit to make my HBO and my stars free for 7 uh, seven ninety five, basically free, yeah. uh, for six months as well. And all I had to do to get all that was to agree to go back on her contract. And this time, they only wanted one year. They didn't even ask her to.
0: Yeah, do it again at the end of the year.
3: Yeah. So, and she even said, as soon as the Super Bowl ends, call and cancel the Sunday ticket, because then when you, when it comes to the season, it'll be wiped off, it'll be out, and it'll look like you're you've never had it. Oh wow! So that's another tip that she gave me as well.
0: Yeah, I've always thought that, and it's kind of scummy from like a loyal customer point of view. Not scummy what you did, but it always seems scummy from a company point of view that they're so much better. To people that have never given them a dime than they are to right. long-time customers. I'm I'm almost out of contract with Verizon, and I'm excited about that as far as like being a free agent goes. Like yeah. I can take my phone services elsewhere if I decide You to. can
3: negotiate. Yep. And that's when you have leverage. It's right. like the one and only time you have leverage. I was having trouble with the – so let's, let's read this. To express a desire to bring people together. I just want to see which one of us is right or wrong. To express a desire to bring people together, our team will honor the country and flag in a pre-game demonstration of unity. Hmm, okay. I guess I just read that to mean, I mean, how do you honor the flag and the country by kneeling? <laughs> I don't know. Now I think they're going to stand together. I think. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, only one guy from the team sat. The other 52 guys are going to... <laughs> right. Change their stance? Yeah. This is weird. Well, that's a different team. That's- no, because Jeremy Lane, the Seahawks cornerback. Oh, okay. He sat okay. against the Raiders.
0: The, the Kaepernick got the idea for the kneel from a guy that I guess served in the military. Yeah,
3: a pretty famous... I can't think of his name right now. Yeah, I can't either, but... That's apparently a compromise.
0: So I'm... If that's what a military guy is okay with I've never been in the military But the military
3: is like anything else There's 9 million opinions sure, right. I mean, <laughs> Exactly Yeah, There was
0: it was trending uh, What is it? Like Veterans for Kaepernick Trended on Twitter for a little while They so. probably
3: could have found A veteran who would have told him To stay sitting They would probably find found one To right. tell him to stand And yep. he found a guy To told him to go in the middle uh, I did mention off the top That the World Cup of Hockey started So the World Cup of Hockey is here Do you find it irritating There's no quarterf- final round? I heard that complaint About the tournament today
0: I literally have no thoughts about the tournament. You know what, honestly, I just realized that Eichel was even playing at it. And I thought not too long ago he said that he was gonna sit this out because what tur- did he sit something out? I could have swore Eichel was gonna sit it out because he wanted to concentrate. The world
3: championships, maybe?
0: Okay, maybe that's what it was. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean
3: he was announced like as essentially like a co captain with McDavid like months ago. When they made the big announcements of the rosters and okay.
0: stuff. Okay. Yeah, it's weird the the tournament he's in, like how there's a younger version, and like they're on the North America team. Like, are they just going to run the? I table? think that's
3: the coolest thing about the tournament. That is cool, except for that the, the under twenty three North America team. I think that's the most interesting thing about it.
0: But how many other teams are that? Like, why does North America? There's eight games? teams. Okay, so it's just a small.
3: This this is not this tournament is not being played in a cloak of mystery, as it seems like Don feels <laughs> <that> it is. <laughs> Dan's looking at me with a completely blank stare, like he has absolutely no. I think idea I combined it with the other. Yeah, there's eight teams. Six countries, a Team Europe, and the North America under twenty three team. Oh right. They're split up into two divisions, top four playing a semifinal, and then the final is the best of three. All the games are at the Air Canada Center in Toronto.
0: How many teams are in the, the main the main tournament? Like the with the older players?
3: What's the main tournament with the older players? Am I thinking of the other? What are one? you talking about?
0: I thought North America isn't this all younger players?
3: No, there is eight teams in the World Cup of Hockey. One of the teams is Team North America under 23. They're one of oh, the eight teams in this tournament. Okay,
0: so they'll be playing against Team USA. Yes. And, oh, okay. I thought it was two separate.
3: Don is just lost in a <laughs> cloak of secrecy here. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes, yes, yes. They yeah, are one of the if, teams, as is Team Europe.
0: Okay, Europe isn't also an under 20 yeah. whatever No,
3: team. They're not. They're just a collection of European players. But that, that aren't live, on the other European right.
0: countries. That's bizarre. Like, because Finland is in the tournament. Well, Vanek,
3: for example, I believe is on Team Europe. Okay. His country does not have a team capable of competing. Okay. So all of the players like Vanek. Gotcha. You know, or Zuccarello, I believe, were representing Norway on the team. Okay. And they will not have an anthem. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> what about North America? They'll man? play both. Really? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and I believe that the... Canada and U.S. coaches have both now come out and said that their players are not allowed to sit it out. Right, but who cares what John Tortorella
0: says? Really? Well, but
3: or well, then uh, I guess you have uh, to say who's Toronto's coach, uh, Babcock. Babcock, okay, yeah, yeah. So you'd have to say who cares what he says because he's not allowing people to sit for o Canada. The
0: difference is you're agreeing to play for a literally for country. the country. Yeah, right. that there is a difference there,
3: and you're more than welcome to sit out. You don't have to accept sure, the invitation. Right. Team USA is doing a weird seven-person leadership thing. They have the captain, who I believe is Bacchus, maybe, and they have two assistants. I know one is Kane, and they also have four other players who are non-lettered leadership (laughs) members, (laughs) whatever that means.
0: Okay. I thought Pavelski was the captain.
3: Okay. Then maybe Bacchus is the other other assistant with Kane. Who's the favorite? Is it Canada? Canada. Not yeah.
0: not the North America Young Kids team with Eichel and... No,
3: because Canada has an older version of everyone you mentioned.
0: That's true. That's Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs>
3: you know, like, you're going to say, well, hey, Team America has McDavid. Well, then Canada say, yeah, well, we have Crosby. Sure, right. You know, and... Well, we have Gossespierre. Oh, yeah, well, we have Duncan Keith. Right, right. You know, or we have Matt Murray. Well, we have Carey Price. The Canada team is ridiculous. So they'll be the favorite. And they get to play it at home. Again. <laughs> So, good for them. Uh, and as for anything else going on, the U.S. opens going on. Looks like Serena Williams maybe is going to win that again. <laughs> uh, unless she gets tripped up here at the end. Uh, Murray is out. A lot of the top guys are out. Tiger Woods is returning. I heard, To yeah. golf this weekend. And Major League Baseball is pennant races, which the Yankees are suddenly a part of. Any
0: reason to think Woods will, like... Get it back together Like he's nowhere near Old enough Where he should have Fallen off a cliff Because of age The
3: Tiger Woods That you remember Is dead forever And is that So it's just a matter Of what Is that mental Tiger so many, Woods can be No it's His body is Completely yeah. Given out it It's so out. weird I mean. From a
0: golf I mean I don't play golf So I don't know It's so weird To think that guy Would fall off that hard That fast
3: The Yankees have won Four in a row And are suddenly Two and a half out Of The division
0: Yeah the division's not very good
3: or it's just three teams. It's there. not very good in the sense that, I mean, they He's have, three the, they have, the, lowest, they have the lowest win total for the leader. Yeah. Boston is 78. Cleveland has more in the Central. Texas has the most in the West. Then they also have this four-team group of sort of division mediocrity. Right. You know, and they've all been kind of taking turns going on runs. You know, the Jays had a run.
0: Yeah, I'd be interested to hear how many, like at the end of the season, how many different teams held at least some time in first place there.
3: Three, I would guess. Unless the Yankees had us first real early. Right, but I mean
0: even among those three, it's probably changed day to day. Oh, yeah, probably quite a bit, yeah. yeah.
3: So, yeah, that's it. I thought there was one other thing I wanted to mention. You got anything else?
0: No, it's been all about football.
3: Yeah, it's all about football. What are you gonna? What are you most excited to watch on Sunday? You gonna watch the Bills, the Bills. or are you gonna watch the Red Zone more?
0: Yeah, I'll probably. I'll, I I usually start with the Bills on the big TV, and I bring like a smaller TV downstairs t- uh, to the living room to watch the Red Zone. And depending on how the Bills do, it stays that way through the whole game, or it switches where the Bills end up on the little TV.
3: Being in multiple leagues, what's your most important fantasy team? Like, how do you follow your fantasy teams?
0: I don't know. Th- that's hard. I'm in three. Which is about my limit. Um, I don't. I noticed like a game I wouldn't want to have a lot of guys on. I think I have got like four guys between the since the Bengals and the Jets. So this week that's not a great matchup because they both have good defenses. I don't know. The red zone does a great job of bouncing it around, so it doesn't matter who you like. You're gonna
3: find. I know what it was. We didn't mention college football started.
0: Oh man, what a disaster of a week for teams!
3: Yeah, Oklahoma lost to Houston, which was stupid to play a top fifteen team in Houston. Notre Bad Dame, move. Notre Dame lost. Notre Dame lost. LSU lost. Uh, so they they did the same thing Oklahoma did. They, they went did and played team. you know a good team in Wisconsin.
0: Is that forgivable? Like now that there's a playoff, you can they they have to run the table, right?
3: Yeah, I mean you're not probably not going to make it with two losses, but I don't think that no one no one eliminated themselves. I mean, Oklahoma is not going to be eliminated because they lost to a top 15 team in September. It's, right.
0: And if you lose to a top 15 team, I know strength of schedule that comes into play. But does that only come into play for your wins or does it help for your losses, too? I
3: think it helps for who you lose to, for sure, because it's a committee who's deciding this, it's oh, not right. a computer formula anymore. That's right. That's right. You know, so in Oklahoma, we'll play Ohio State next week. So I'm sure the loss will be forgiven if they beat Ohio State, who will. Sure. Amazing in the first week.
0: Yeah, yeah. it was a crazy week. We. We've talked in the past about how teams will not play any. Tennessee almost lost to Appalachian State. Yep. What a what a ridiculous first week where teams. Appalachian State though is that team that people seem to always schedule and have trouble with. Well, they beat Michigan and Michigan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Stop scheduling that team as your cupcake first week or whatever.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. Texas is back. I guess everyone says because they beat Notre Dame in two overtimes. Um, that yeah, was, a really, almost, that was a really that was a interesting game. game. They had that, that game. That was a fun game to watch. They were running
0: away with that game. And then I'm like, I literally thought to myself, because, I mean, it's hard not to watch Notre Dame. They're just on all the time. But uh, I thought, okay, could I if I could bet my house. Like, Texas had everything going for them. I think they were up like 14 or something at that point. I thought, you never know. And then you turn back, and Notre Dame had the lead when I turned back at one point. It was,
3: Chad Kelly got caught. Messaging with a porn star. Did you hear about that?
0: No. Jim. That's Jim Kelly's kid, right? Yeah, he's yeah. the quarterback at Ole Miss. Okay.
3: So, they played Florida State on Monday. It was the last game. It's like Monday Night Football for college, that one week before, unopposed. Okay. So, Florida State ended up winning 45 34. Uh, but at halftime, it was 28 13 Ole Miss. It's had a nice lead, you know? It sure, yeah. Blew it in the second half, and, uh, this porn star, that's a Florida State fan, exposed that Chad Kelly had been DMing her by saying, you should have spent more time in your playbook and less time in my DMs. During the game? Not during the Not game. Not during the game, oh, Okay, but before kind of, the game. That
0: you are going to say at halftime yeah. he was texting her.
3: No. So, that was pretty funny. But Florida State almost was another top five team to lose. That would have been three. Yeah. But they uh, had the big 23 to nothing third quarter, and... Ended up winning by ten. Again,
0: I've never been a kid. I mean, he's got a famous dad on top of it. I'm sure his entire life he's famous been to, uncle. Oh, famous uncle, right? I'm sure he's been good his entire life too. But man, how do these kids? I don't know. Keep your nose clean for a few years and maybe get rich. Just just enjoy the college experience. Of uh, he seems like a dope. Yes, <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes. that's why it was that last chance you Yeah, yeah. Alright, we're going to take a break And come back with Trey Wingo from ESPN Alright, our next guest is from Greenwich, Connecticut And is a graduate of Baylor He's worked at ESPN for years now, covering the NFL Draft and NFL Live and all the different things you've grown to, accustomed to watching him on ESPN. And uh, he's making his fourth appearance on the podcast today. O'Warren oh, Sports Casters, welcome to Trey Wingo. How's well, that uh, That's always
2: the best way to be introduced. Thank you, my friend. How are you?
3: I'm doing very good. Uh, I did want to, um, before we got too deep into this, just send my condolences to you and everyone at ESPN. You're the first person from ESPN who's been on since Mr. Saunders passed away. It's really really bummed me out.
2: Uh, well, I appreciate you saying that. It was uh, clearly a shock to all of us. Uh, John was a great guy and a great friend. and uh, You know, I didn't work with him much because he was in college football and, and I was on the NFL side here. But I'll tell you a quick story, if you don't mind. Uh, I met John for the first time when I was working in St. Louis in the early 90s. And, you know, as you know, John, or may not know, John was a huge uh, Hockey star, a oh, yeah. hockey fan, growing up, played yeah. the minor leagues and played a little bit in college, and uh, he he came in with this all star hockey team to play at at the old St Louis arena, and so he was on the team, and I was on the the team of St Louis all stars, you know, and and we played together uh, against each other in that hockey game, and uh, when I first got here in uh, the fall of 1997, I ran into John at uh, right outside the bathroom of all places at ESPN, and he rec- remembered me. And uh, we sort of laughed about that, and he said to me, well, we're on the same team now, welcome and congratulations. And that, that's the kind of guy he was, and that's why he's uh, missed so much.
3: I missed him on Saturday a lot. I noticed it. Yeah. You know, it was, a, it was a day that you noticed it, for sure.
2: Yeah, no question. Yeah. I mean, it was, you've grown accustomed to that, that yep. face and that voice and those gentle tones for all those years, and, and they simply weren't there.
3: Well, I did want to send my condolences to everyone at ESPN for that before we got started. So
2: I appreciate that.
3: We played the Baylor fight song in the beginning there, and I haven't talked to you since it's kind of a rough summer for Baylor. I was just wondering, not to get into it necessarily, but how you kind of felt as an alum about the response from the school. Um, Terrible. Yeah, more than happy. I mean, huh? I'm
2: not, I'm not going to mince words. Uh, I I think that the way the administration has handled this is is been not good in any way, shape, or form, and I think there's more to come. Uh, you know, Art Briles obviously did some things incorrectly, but I do believe that uh, the school and the board of regents did whatever they could to make sure they put as much of the blame on him uh, as opposed to themselves for the handling of this process. Because if you go through some of the things that the outside the lines people have reported, this it, this wasn't just a Baylor football program. There were several people that, uh, several women that complained to the university itself, uh, outside of the athletic program, that things were happening and were not being handled properly, and those people were not dealt with. I believe in a serious manner. And, uh, you know, that, that Pepper Hamilton report, that oral report on which they based the firing of, of Art Bryles and uh, some of the other assistant associate athletic directors, uh, that nobody has seen that report except what, was, that, what the Board of Regents said was presented to them orally. Now, you have to believe that any law firm that does that kind of extensive work will document their work because how are law firms paid by billable hours? That, that report exists somewhere, and I believe the associate athletic director, who was fired uh, summarily without even a chance to explain himself, has filed a lawsuit to get his hands on that report. That report is going to come out, and when it comes out, it's going to be another round of bad news for Baylor University.
3: It's horrible to have something that hanging over like that hanging over a program, too, and it's got to be frustrating, because I remember last time we talked, or maybe the time before that, it was about the beautiful stadium that was opening, and you know, how much the athletic department has turned around. It's got to be incredibly frustrating to have this conversation now instead. Well, it, it is
2: and it isn't because, uh, you know, a lot of people have said, well, what's going to happen when they if, if the program goes under and, you know, you have that mausoleum? And I'm like, I don't think that's the bigger issue. The bigger issue here is why weren't the students at Baylor University uh, protected or taken care of or taken seriously in the right way? I, you know, I think right. so many people are looking, oh, well, right. well, what's going to happen to the football program? My point is, let's fix the problem with the university and then worry about the football program later, because you can make a very compelling argument over the last 30 years of college football. Two of the three worst scandals in all of collegiate sports were at Baylor University. Uh, the basketball program when dame Bliss, when when uh, Carlton Dotson was shot by right. uh, or Patrick denny he was shot by Carlton Dotson, and you know they tried to cover that up. And now this scandal, it's bad. It's really bad. And Baylor is supposed to stand for something different and quite frankly they should start standing for something different because the the, the bigger issue is the well-being of the students on campus uh, whether or not the football program continues to be in the top 10 is irrelevant to that other point
3: yeah i mean if students aren't safe what you know what else is there i mean that's exactly right, right. uh jeez let's try to get <laughs> It's dark so far. Dark for no, afternoon. no. It's all right. I mean, look, it's
2: it's a hard topic, but it needs to be discussed. And I'm sure there are some some alumni that are are very upset with me right now. But you know, I, I want my school to stand for something better than oh, look, we can fill a football stadium, and that's
3: what Baylor's supposed to stand for. And if they want to stand for that, then they should they should they should make sure they figure this thing out. Right. What is uh, uh, Rich Eisen and the people at NFL Network we, when he was on? We talked about the uh, playing season and the non-playing season, and. uh I'm anxiously awaiting the start of the playing season, as everyone is tomorrow. What does Trey Wingo do when he's got a little extra time during the non-playing season? <laughs> well, um, I, I guess the easiest way to answer that is—is is there's
2: really, I mean, to me, there's 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 four seasons okay. in, in 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 the year for football, and there's out. very little downtime between any of them. <laughs> you have you have the playing the regular season, okay. the postseason, the player procurement season. And then the off season slash preseason. So we're about to leave the off season slash preseason, going to the regular season. I mean, after the regular season, we have the postseason. The postseason takes a break for about two weeks, and then we start with the combine, and then we start with the league league year and free agency, and all that builds up to the draft. And then we have training camps and mini camps, and then we take another break for about a week and a half, and then we have training camps opening up. And so, to me, there's 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 a really there's like three weeks in the year where very little is going on, and those are the three weeks where I try and be invisible, because other than that, things are happening all the time. Um, so, I, I'd love to sit there and say, "Yeah, I take months off," but that's just that's just not the case. It's not the way it it works here, especially with NFL Live being on on a daily basis. I try and work on my handicap a little bit, I guess, during the summer, and right. uh, I, I got to go to Wimbledon this year and, and do some coverage there, which was a blast and that was a lot of fun. But for the most part, you know, you, you have to be locked into this thing year round because the appetite for it continues to amaze.
3: Yes, and I, you know, I read uh, an article. I think in the sports business journal yesterday about how there was a thought that maybe this would be the year that the ad revenue would maybe take a dip because of all the money spent nope. on ads no nope, bits, $350,000 for a 30 second ad in the cheap game. And they're doing record numbers.
2: Yeah. The, the, our appetite for football uh, continues to amaze. And, you know, people say, Oh, it's our national pastime. And I, I completely disagree. It's our national addiction uh, for a lot of reasons. And it, you know, can you imagine a fall without football? Can you imagine sitting around on the weekends not wondering how your fantasy team is doing or not checking in on your, your favorite uh, college football game? I mean, that, that alternate reality is a long way away from ever being a, a, a possibility in this country. Look, football drives not only its own business, it drives other businesses. The most lucrative sponsorship deals, almost all of them, are related to the NFL. The top-rated show... In primetime television for the last two years is Sunday Night Football on NBC. Right, yeah. Not not the not the prior, not the highest rated sh- sports show, the highest rated television show. I believe two years ago it's close to this, but I, I may have the numbers off by one or two. I think forty-one of the top forty-five rated shows on television were all NFL games. So it not only sustains itself, it sustains many other industries.
3: It's been this way for a long time. If you I mean, think back, I think the A-Team was like the first big show that debuted after the Super Bowl and took advantage of the bump you can get from that, and the networks have been taking advantage of that year after year after year, kind of to go Absolutely. along the lines of the NFL sustaining other things. You know, it launches Absolutely. a TV show every every Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. I was wondering if preparation, you talked about the four different seasons. Does it seem like it's a disproportionate amount of preparation is required for your work, on the draft and the two or three days that you spend doing that compared to the other seasons. Is it is, is is preparing for the draft kind of crazy in the sense that it's maybe like a wedding where you're, you do all these things and then it's gone just like that as opposed to like a 16 week burn. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, I, I I have a, uh, well, first of all, the draft
2: is the great unknown because it is the only true reality television show because anybody that knows anything about television is the word reality television show is about the biggest oxymoron there is because there's very little real in reality television You, you can't have a camera crew following you around and not know that the cameras not there so you're always playing to that camera in some way shape or form whether you are doing it consciously or subconsciously we don't have a script for the draft what we do is we watch what happens when these teams unfold and i mean you, you think I was going to expect to use the words gas mask bong <laughs> in last year's draft? I mean, <laughs> that, you could have put a lot of money down in Vegas saying you won't hear those words on the, the three-day coverage of the draft on ESPN, and you would have gotten taken to the bank. So, I mean, there's, there's no way to, to even begin to comprehend what is going to unfold. The only thing I try and do is that I know every single one of those players, cold, uh, every single one of those guys that we believe are draft-eligible, uh, I try and make sure I know something about those players and that's the hardest thing we have a I have a binder I put together uh, with the the research team here and my great great friend Jim Carr who does an unbelievable job not only on Monday night football but for the draft and we go through every single position and every single player available and we try and find notes about each one of them going forward and uh, and you know because you want to be prepared like i If Jihad Ward was going to be drafted, I wanted to tell the story of how he got to that college in in downtown New York and how he had to shuffle back and forth to to get to practice before he got a chance to go to uh, Illinois to be on a scholarship, to have a chance to be drafted. You want to tell those stories. You want to tell the story of Malcolm Mitchell, the Patriots wide receiver, the rookie out of Georgia, who had a really bad injury and realized while he was rehabbing for that injury his first or second year at Georgia, he was reading at a fifth-grade level. So instead of just rehabbing his body, he rehabbed his mind and became an avid reader and is now an author of several children's books, including one about the power of reading. Those are the stories I want to tell people to make them understand these are not commodities that are being drafted. They are actual human beings that have unique and interesting paths that got them to where they are.
3: Yeah, it's got to be like having a wedding every year, I feel like. I remember after mine, just like, Thinking about everything that went into it and how quick it went, and just listening to you describe all the preparation, and I, mean, I got to figure you sit down on—is uh, it sun- Saturday now? I think is the last day on Saturday night, and just take a deep breath and say, "Wow, can't believe that that is over."
2: Yeah, it. it's it's uh, it's it's still uh, it's it, look, it, it's a love hate relationship because <laughs> I, I I can't tell you the things that I know about certain players that will stick in my brain forever. Uh, but you're right. It is, it is a bear. I mean, I, I there's a, there's a third, three, four week period where I'm doing nothing, but every day after work, going home and going over the notes and rereading the notes and making sure that I have them, uh, on call when I want, when I want to have them. And, and, and the fear is that that name will come up and you won't remember the great story or you won't have the great information about that player. And that's, that's what drives me. I can't speak for anybody else. But what drives me is the idea that I don't want to be caught empty-handed when that certain player comes up and there's nothing to say about him. That That's the fear, and the fear motivates you to do your best and prepare.
3: One last thing about this, and we'll move on because you just made me think about it. I always, I always recall uh, Al Michaels did the, um, the interview in Playboy um, uh, a few years, maybe even 10 or 15 years now ago, and he talked about how the drive to prepare to ultimately have the perfect broadcast is what has driven him and what has always eluded him. And it sounded similar to that when you were talking about preparing for the draft. Uh, do you think you've had the perfect draft yet? Or no, every draft, no. every draft, you think about the story you didn't tell, right? And is that what drives no, I, you? Well, I, look, a- absolutely. We, we did a great uh, piece many years ago in the NFL about fear
2: uh, and, and the fear of failure. Most great athletes will tell you they don't enjoy success. They're afraid of failure, and that's what motivates them. Like Tom Brady, to this day, I think his company is called One Ninety Nine or something because he remembers he was 199th pick in the draft. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers still has a chip in his shoulder from waiting so long to be taken in the first round of the draft. You know, people use that motivation many many shapes and forms to get them where they want to go. And and for me, I don't want to feel like I didn't know what to say at that point in time. So I want to make sure I'm doing everything in my possibility. Uh, to make sure when when they say, "Hey, this guy got drafted, I don't know, I don't go, Wow, okay, let's move on. you know I, I want to make sure there's something to be said and something to be brought to the equation.
3: Being a Saints fan has been one of the great passions in my life, and uh, I feel like I've been refreshing uh, Twitter every thirty five seconds for the last six months now waiting for this breeze contract to be finished because nobody. Nobody has, and I presume nobody will mean more to that passion than Drew Brees has the last 11 years. I'm just wondering, from a football side, because it's hard for me to see the football side uh, through the passion that a Saints fan has for Drew Brees. I don't mean to speak for all Saints fans, but I feel pretty confident I can in this case. Uh, But putting that aside, I'll speak for myself. It's really hard for me to think about football when it comes to Drew Brees. I just have this overwhelming sense of, willingness to spend someone else's money and say it should be any amount and any amount of years he wants and let's just make him happy and it's hard to think anything about that so I ask you someone who can look at it from a football side do you think we don't have numbers we don't have term yet but we have rumors and we have maybe a general idea of where this is going Uh, regardless of the specifics do you think that the Saints are making a good football decision with the news of the Drew Brees extension pretty much imminent at this point?
2: Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a two-year deal. Um, look, he, he, there's two ways to look at this, and you have to it, it, you have to uh, you have to look at them both. Um, since he became uh, to the uh, since since he since he became the state starting quarterback right, in 2006. 2006, nobody has thrown for more yards, more touchdowns, and has a higher completion percentage. Now, to me, that's more relevant than the stat that, that uh, the NFL office pumped out today, which was he's had the greatest 10-year run in the history of the NFL. Um, in other words, nobody's had more passing yards over a 10-year time frame than than Drew Brees. Because let's be honest, the rules have changed dramatically over the last 10 years okay. to help people throw the ball and rack up these numbers. So, you know, everything from 2005 on, to me is not, I won't say irrelevant, but it's not nearly as as important because you can do these things now. Uh, that people, quarterbacks are able to do and receivers are able to do that you couldn't do before, and in this era in which you have the Peyton Mannings, the Aaron Rodgers, the Tom Brady's, all these, the Philip Rivers, all these great quarterbacks that can do all these wonderful things, he's done it better than any one of them, and that's the way to look at it in terms of what you're getting. The other quietest side of it is how long can you expect that from him? He'll be 38 in January. Mm-hmm. He's a smaller guy. I think two of the things that, or the thing that really has helped Brady and Manning over the years is they're big dudes, man. I mean, they're, they're, they're tall. Uh, they're, they're sturdy. And, you know, Drew is a, is, a, is a quarterback shorter of stature, and sometimes those shorter of stature guys tend to break down a little faster. I'm not saying he will. I'm saying that's something to be on the lookout for. So, it's, And you have to think, is this team close to winning it all again? I know you're a Saints fan, but any logical suggestion says no. They just had uh, arguably the worst defense ever in the history of the NFL. They gave up the most passing touchdowns in a single season in NFL history, and they also gave up the most yards per rush. So you could drive or fly through the Saints defense. It was your choice. They had the number one, their number one pick, Sheldon Rankins, is going on injured reserve. He was supposed to shore up that. So Designated
3: to how return, much money? Right.
2: Yeah. How yeah. much money are you willing to invest in, in a quarterback who is going to be on the decline as opposed to making the team relevant again? That, that's the business football equation of it.
3: Right. And for me, the answer is whatever it takes. because That's because you're a fan. Yeah, and, and I get that. And, but uh, I just, you know, it was so hard to find him. You know, I mean, I wasn't a fan. I I had been a fan already for over 20 years when he got there of the yeah. team, you know, and it was so hard to get to him. And you remember that. And every time a game ends, I, I'm telling you, I'm just completely honest. The first thing I think is, oh, my God, we're one game closer to not having him anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, I, that's the first thing I think of every time. I watch his press conference every week and admire his professionalism every week. I can never tell. I wish there was somehow I could watch the press conference first because I would be wrong 50% of the time on whether or not we, the Saints won or lost. Because you can yeah. never tell. He He's the same every time. He's such a pro. He's been everything. He's exactly what you dream your your hero, the hero of your sports team can be. I mean, he's well, been not, not only that,
2: but it was a complete accident. You know, I mean, the, yeah. the Saints got very they got very lucky to get him because uh, who is it? Miami failed. Miami, yes. Yeah,
3: Saban and yeah, Miami, yeah. Miami, yeah, Miami yeah.
2: failed his physical. Yeah, one, yeah. one of the other great decisions Nick Saban made yeah. as, a, as a head coach in the NFL.
3: Nobody's more excited than the uh, Saints fans and Alabama fans, I guess. Right? Than that decision, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the SportsCats are here, finishing up with Trey Wingo. I would love to ask this question of people who are uh, focus, focusing on this, the start of a season, and we can kind of finish on this. Uh, what what are the stories or things or games or what interests you uh, the most as the season starts? What are the things you're most excited to find out the answers to in terms of the league and the games and the players as we get started with the regular season?
2: Well, I mean, the short answer is everything
3: <laughs> because
2: the the NFL is different every year. I mean... It, for the last 10 years we've had four players four teams that made the postseason the previous year not making and four new teams making. so uh, unless you're cleveland which I, you, you hate to say hope springs eternal uh in the nfl you, you have that opportunity every year so that, that's the that's the overriding picture for me is no one knows what's going to unfold uh you know Did anybody think that the Broncos had a chance to win the Super Bowl last year with Peyton Manning, would throw nine touchdowns against 17 interceptions? You can make a compelling argument that their quarterback situation is actually better this year than it was last year. (laughs) Right. And, and they go into the season with the great unknown and Trevor Simeon, the only third Northwestern quarterback to ever start a game yeah. in the NFL. I'm curious, Cam Newton had the highest scoring offense last year without his top play wide receiver in Kelvin Benjamin. How are they going to get better? How are they going to improve on that when they arguably have a better roster, especially on the offensive side of the ball? What about Jacksonville? can they put it together this year in fact that entire afc south is fascinating to me it is absolutely fascinating because andrew luck's only as good as the offensive line in front of him. they got pummeled last year he had internal injuries they drafted five offensive linemen the most since 1982 the texans backed up the truck for the brockweiler you know 37 million and guaranteed off seven starts houston could be an unbelievable team if brock osweiler is any good uh, the Jaguars are fascinating. Marcus Mariota and, and the reinvention of the, pal- the running game in Tennessee. I find all of this fascinating. The disaster that is probably going to be the NFC East. Will anybody win ten games in that division to win the division? And you know, is Sam Bradford finally going to prove anything that justified being the number overall pick of the 2010 draft? The, the, the stories are limitless. It's, it's an empty canvas just waiting to be painted, and I can't wait to see the strokes.
3: And, Trey, will tell you how those stories play out every day on NFL Live on ESPN. And you can also follow him on Twitter. He's at Wingo's OZ. He's got 950,000 followers nearly on there. And hopefully this is the appearance that will push you closer to the million. uh, I'm counting on it, Steve. I'm (laughs) counting on it. Uh, This is his fourth time. We appreciate it more and more every time. Thank you for doing this. Steve, you got it, man. Anytime. All right, I want to thank uh, Trey Wingo for being on the podcast today. Hopefully we can get Trey over a million followers there on the uh, Twitter. The book club is back after a short break, and it's going to be an exciting fall for the book club. Uh, First, a book we've been waiting a long time for, Through the Whistle, Steel Football in American Town by S.L. Price. It's going to be the book club book of the month for October. I think we're going to have a bunch of copies of this to give away. Uh, maybe even as many as like 10, so that would be cool. We've been working with the publisher on that, uh, hopefully getting this book out to a bunch of listeners, um, so I'm really excited. It's about Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, and the football uh, in Aliquippa. We'll talk about that more as we get closer to October. This month, we're going to focus on a TV book. Uh, two, it's called TV The Book. Two experts pick the greatest American shows of all time. Those experts are a- Alan Steppenwall and Matt sites. I talked to Alan uh, on on uh, email. Uh, we should be getting a book uh, this week and then hopefully we can start talking about the book and hopefully Alan will join us later in the month. TV writers are not easy to pin down uh, but I'm excited to uh, to read about this book. Um, we love talking TV on the show and actually we'll do a little bit more of it at the end of this podcast. Don will talk TV in one last thing. Uh, so we'll do the TV book in September October will be a big month with the SL Price book and then November um, or late October uh, Jeff Perlman's Brad Favre book will be out Uh, so we'll transfer over to that so an exciting fall for the book club we'll take a break and we'll come back with Matt Yoder (laughs) All right, our next guest is from Columbus, Ohio, and he is a writer for The Comeback and Awful Announcing, and he is making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Matt Yoder. What's up, Matt?
1: Great to be with you. I know we were discussing playing When the Saints Go Marching In, but maybe we should have done Stand Up and Get Crunk as the anthem for the Saints. That right. that could have been an appropriate
3: one, too. Yes every time i hear it it makes me think of 2009 It's a great song and a great season and great yeah. memories all the way around so yeah maybe, that was that's I mean, good we can, we can re-roll that if you want <laughs> but maybe, maybe it's too late i don't know so in columbus today if you turn on sports radio they're talking about ohio state and oklahoma or whatever ohio state's doing before that this week if anything uh tortorella and the uh the Blue Jackets coach saying that he doesn't want people sitting in the anthem or the Drew Brees contract extension. What's the big big news on Columbus sports talk radio? Well,
1: you know, ever since about spring football, the number one story has is, and probably always will be, Ohio State football. So that's that kind of always dominates the airwaves in and around Columbus. But you know, there's so much interest in the NFL nationally. I was actually driving around earlier today, and they were talking about the Drew Brees contract situation because. The the NFL is such a national league, and I know we've got the Browns and the Bengals here, but that's kind of the big story of the day. And then, you know, I, I think we do have the Blue Jackets, which are uh, an alleged professional hockey team and organization, but I think with them and the crew, you know, they do have their following, but when it comes to them and Ohio State, Columbus is really a town with Ohio State. There's that much interest and that much intrigue and that much passion here around it, I think. Everything else, maybe except the NFL, again, because of its total popularity, will always play second fiddle
3: to it. So even when the coach of the team gets called out nationally on ESPN, it doesn't register there?
1: Uh, I mean, I would say it registers enough for a segment or two, maybe on the afternoon drive time show. But you've got a lot of people that are are probably more interested in this upcoming Ohio State-Pulsa matchup and what kind of a threat the Golden Hurricanes might pose or whether Curtis Samuel is going to contend his uh, or continue his surprise run for the Heisman Trophy here.
3: So do they play Tulsa in Columbus and then Oklahoma in Oklahoma? Yeah, I think it's yeah.
1: Tulsa in Columbus and then Oklahoma in Oklahoma. That's they, the was the on the schedule.
3: They must just be licking their chops thinking they're gonna murder Oklahoma now.
1: Well, you know, I, I think a lot of people kind of look at that game around here and said, well it probably would have been nicer if Oklahoma had won to build up that resume because if you're looking at this college football playoff now, you kind of root for the teams that you're playing against, especially in those big non-conference games. But I, I think a lot of people were looking at that game and, so you know, maybe Ohio State, well, it, it would be a surprise, but you, know, you just want to go on the road against a, a top five, top ten power conference team and at least make a good effort of yourself so you can come back later in the season and say, okay, you know, we had a loss. You know, we know Ohio State survived a loss at home to Virginia Tech a couple of years ago. But to come back and say, well, you know, at least we played well, we gave a good account of ourselves, and we grew and, and peaked at the end of the season. But right now, shoot, there's probably 80%, 90% of the people here that say, that's really a winnable game now, which beforehand, you know, maybe it only would have been 50 or 60%. And that's due to, I think, Oklahoma's performance, but also Ohio State, against. and granted it was Bowling Green,
2: but 77 points. That's a lot of points to put up against anybody, especially
3: uh, a great max school like Bowling Green. Well, Ohio State did exactly what you should do, and Oklahoma did exactly what you shouldn't do. You should not play against top 20 programs on the road the first game of the season ever. And LSU made that mistake this year. Oklahoma made that mistake. I mean, yeah, neutral field, whatever. It's in Houston against Houston. That's a road game. And it was 90% Houston fans. Yeah, and you know,
1: here in Big Ten country, the contention with, you know, we have this rivalry between the Big Ten and the SEC, and the contention is, well, those schools never come up north to play, so I at least give Ellis even less miles credit. That they made the trip to Green Bay don't to play Wisconsin on what might technically be a neutral field, but was still pretty much a road game.
3: Yeah, that's a road game, too. Absolutely a road game. Just shouldn't do it week one. I mean, I think these they don't play preseason games in college. You need to play that Mac school or that, you know, whatever. That's why God made Bowling Yeah, exactly. That's why God made Bowling Green. And Ohio State took advantage of that. What about uh, what's going on at the comeback? An awful announcing. Update us. Yeah, things have been going really well
1: with the comeback and Awful Announcing. Really happy with the way the comeback had started off. We're approaching our one-year anniversary coming up here at the end of November, and I've kind of taken a step back from the managing editor role at Awful Announcing to kind of help out more uh, with writing across the both sites and behind the scenes at both sites. And It's been really a, a good operation so far, kind of. Glad to stretch my wings a bit beyond the sports media, get involved with some general sports. And we've got such a great group of writers, uh, veterans, freelancers, longtime awful announcing bloggers, younger guys coming up through the ranks. So it's, it's been really blessed.
3: Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I've been having a lot. I, it's a perfect summer for a site like Awful Announcing with the Olympics going on. I mean, we had the, uh, the announcer in Canada who called the Michael Phelps race incorrectly. And, Gosh, I, and, and doesn't that say something about
1: Canada That everyone reacting to that Was just An overwhelming sign of support no. For the announcer in question No, I mean I'm, that was an American announcer That's getting played all over late night That person's getting brutalized on Twitter But you've got to love Canada They on. stepped up to the plate And they were there for their countrymen In no. what was a low moment And probably the, the front runner for awful announcing blooper of the year
3: I'll give no credit to Canada. Let me tell you why. And Andrew <laughs> and Andrew, Andrew, and I had this discussion, okay, uh, on Twitter. We, we debated this. It Andrew is, Buckle? Yes, yes. Fine, awful announcing writer. Um, it is very easy uh, to give a pass to a miscalled moment you don't care about. If that was Penny Oleksiak in the pool, uh, the Canadian swimming star of the Olympics, probably the biggest star in Canada had in the Olympics this year. If that was her swimming and he had mistaken her with a different swimmer and called a different swimmer winning gold and said Alexiak isn't even going to medal, he would have got crushed by Canada. It was a very, very easy moment for Canada to take care of their guy there. Very easy. I, I defy Canada to be that supportive if (laughs) <laughs> Elliott Friedman would have screwed up their biggest Olympic moment. No chance it would It was
1: happen. definitely a, a kinder, gentler response than probably would have been seen under different circumstances.
3: Yeah, there's, there's just no chance. If, if, that, if he's calling Crosby's golden goal and accidentally says that you know it wasn't scored by Sidney Crosby, it was scored by Patrick Kane, and the U.S. just won the gold medal, he's going to get killed canada will probably be building but
1: to me you know it was just it was kind of a good moment to see that twitter isn't a complete dumpster fire and cesspool like there is at least one positive thing out there that you could point to about twitter and it's not just all eggs kind of hurling this terrible abuse 24 7
3: twitter is wearing me out i think i'm just sick of everyone's opinion me too, you know, I've, I've kind of I just don't care. really taken a step back from the tweeting because at some point you
1: think to yourself, you know, I've, I've kind of said all, all that I want to say at this point, and I, I don't, really don't want to get into kind of stupid arguments anymore with people. So I, I've kind of dialed back on my, my Twitter use quite a bit as well. It's funny to hear you say that, and I think a lot of people are kind of in that same boat because you, just, you kind of get worn down after a while, especially with all the negativity that's out there all the trolls that are out there, and it just becomes so much to deal with that I think just for your own personal sanity and health, there comes a time where you have to take a step back from, it's almost a social media vacuum once you get too far deep into it.
3: And if everyone hates everything, then no matter what you like, people are there to hate it. You you can't escape it. Like today, I'm a big Apple guy. I was excited about the Apple launch. I had to mute like seven people who are making sarcastic comments about every single thing on the on the Apple Watch. I like uh, Fang Bites, uh, who writes for Awful Announcing, I know. Apparently he hates Apple, but he doesn't hate it enough to watch the, the coverage of the launch and comment about every single thing they make. I had to mute it and go on to other things like – and it's not – he's not doing anything wrong or that any, anyone doesn't do. I don't mean to single him out. It's Saints Twitter, right? I mean everyone hates the Saints. They don't have any guards. So there. There's the thing I love that you have to fight about. The election, no matter who you support, half of Twitter hates that. I mean there's no getting away from election hate. doesn't matter who you – what side you're on. Um, right. I mean it's just, it's just nonstop negativity and it's just – it wears you out. I think I'm just kind of tired of it. I don't know
1: yeah I, I think i I kind of drew the line you know a lot of times we get the the blogger kind of and I hate to sound like you know one of those f s one personalities out there but i I do think there's kind of a group sync mantra out there, and you know sometimes you'll do like you'll you'll see Deadspin or some of these other sites do these you know these food lists, and you know maybe they're they're dogging on your favorite flavor of Oreo or something, and you think to yourself. Yeah, am I am I really a hater? Am I really a terrible person because I I like red velvet Oreos? And this is just a ludicrous example, but that that kind of thing is out there. And you'll see, you know, seven eight tweets come through your timeline. You know, if you hate if you like red velvet Oreos, you are a terrible human being who is awful at life and needs to be shot in a cannon to Mars. Like it's just after a while, that gets to be a little much. So I think it's. You know, if you're feeling that, then
3: it's probably the best thing to take a step back from social media. Yeah, it's wore me out. But then you got to refresh it 100 times today to see if Drew Brees got extended. It's like it's like the guy 5-3. It just keeps drawing you back in somehow. There's always something. That's true. And I told you, you
1: know, I was on the radio Tuesday in Shreveport. And at that point, it was such a shock to the system to see that the two sides were talking. And I'm kind of going through the five stages of acceptance here thinking that this is going to be the last season of Drew Brees in a Saints uniform. I wrote an article for the comeback earlier this summer when the two sides were kind of in a a stagnant place with their negotiations and not talking. And if you looked at Drew Brees' situation, if he had played under a lame duck season, I I don't think there's any way he comes back next season or the year after in a Saints uniform because either they have to franchise tag him at something redonkulous like $43 million dollars and, and if he plays well, he justifies a much higher price tag. He doesn't play well, well the Saints probably are, are okay moving on. But there's just so much risk on both sides to say either Breeze plays well, they have a great season, and the Saints have to pay up even more, or Breeze doesn't play well and he kind of kills any chances he has on the open market. So a, a deal before the season always made so much sense. It was kind of stressful for Saints fans. To leave it until we're what seventy-two hours before the start of the regular season, but I am glad that something got done, something is in place, and it seems to be a win-win for both
3: sides. Right, and I think that these things tend to work out around deadlines and Breeze it a self-imposed deadline that once the season started. If you would have maybe said once training camp started, I think they could have solved this a few months ago. But it's something about these deadlines that seems to bring
1: yeah, and you know you, you do kind the- of the. The cynic in you, and I guess the one thing you can maybe ping Breeze and the Saints for is if you've got it done sooner, you get the cap relief this year. You know, it goes from, what, $30 million to $24 million. That could have been used this off-season to help the squad in other areas. So maybe there is something to be said. You know, Drew Breeze saying, I'll, I take less money for Josh Norman, but not for anyone else. Like, it just causes some of those questions to be raised but at the end of the day you I think any Saints fan is more than happy to say this deal got done it's a worry that's off our shoulders because I think we all want Drew Brees to play well and finish his career in a Saints uniform I know he's not a one-team guy because he started his career at the Chargers but pretty much every Saints fan sees him as a one-team guy so to do the Brett Favre thing the Peyton Manning thing and, and go play somewhere else and his career with the Vikings or the Jets or what have you, uh, that just leaves a sour taste in everyone's mouth. So I'm, I'm just glad a deal got done. And it looks like, you know, Drew Brees will be there for at least another two years, hopefully.
3: My newly favorite team is the Bears for taking that guard. They don't need that guard. Which is my twin brother's favorite team, by the way. We so need we, that guard. We still have some issues over the 2006 NFC Championship uh, game. Oh, yeah, that had to be tough. <laughs>
1: Maybe, maybe the plan all along was to re-sign Jarry Evans. I don't know. That, that was kind of a bizarre thing as well, and it looks like I, I would not be shocked if he was penciled in at the starter
3: at right guard. I wouldn't be shocked. Some either.
1: of the non-Saints yeah. non fans that are listening probably have to wonder about this. The guard position this offseason uh, has been like death-con two levels <laughs> yes. of panic yes. for Saints fans stress. because it has been that ugly throughout the preseason, and Josh Sitton got released by the Packers, and everyone's thinking, yeah, this is a gift, like, manna from the gods, that he's going to come make his way to New Orleans. Chicago napped him up first.
3: Right, now we got a chance. Now we've
1: got the yep. Jari Evans reunion after the Saints basically said their goodbye
3: yeah, after last season. Yep.
1: That he was leaving with Marcus Colson, and you're kind of saying goodbye to the last remnants of the 2009 Super Bowl team, but he's back, and... I feel ecstatic about it because I was not looking forward to Tim Lolito and Anders Pete there, the guard position, moving into week one against the Raiders. You pretty much know what you'll get with Jerry Evans now. I don't think he's at that all-pro, pro-bowl level, but he should still at least have enough left in the tank to keep Drew Brees on his feet.
3: I've hated that Pete pick ever since the second it was announced, and I hate it more every day. How is a player from Stanford that dumb he just he plays like such a blockhead. Like does he have well, any idea what's going on in the field ever? I know they've asked him to do things that aren't necessarily his natural position and all that, but you'd expect a kid from Stanford to pick up on that quicker somehow. He just Well the funny thing is he, he was a left tackler in college and I remember when the pick was made,
1: you know, ESPN and Chris Berman and John Gruden, they have this this uh, call from on high from the league office that they're not gonna tip picks. Right And before that pick was made, I remember John Green saying, well, you know, the Saints really have a need at left tackle. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, they just drafted Throne Armstead two years ago. He's blossoming into an all-pro a superstar yeah. player. Yep. The last thing they need is a left tackle, maybe beyond quarterback. And then, lo and behold, there's the shock of the first round that year. The Saints pick a left tackle from Stanford at number 13 a number of other needs on the table. so yeah. I'm with you. That pick didn't really make sense from the beginning because you already had a pro Bowl guy at left tackle. We've seen him struggle in the transition to guard. The coaches think maybe at left guard, that's the long-term spot for him next to Armstead since he's used to playing on that side of the line of scrimmage. I haven't seen it yet. But again, and this is really kind of an overarching thing. You look at, well, how does a team like the Saints go from playoff Super Bowl division title year after year contender, to seven and nine. When you still have that nucleus of Sean Payton and Drew Brees, and if you look at their drafts the last several years, there's not a lot of top round, you know, first, second, third round guys that are still on that team or contributing at high level. So I, I think you kind of have to look at Mickey Loomis to say the Saints have missed out on several high draft picks here. And thus far, Andrew Peet has been one of them. Another is Garrett Grayson, the third-round quarterback from a couple years ago, who just got released and was maybe going to be the guy to take over for Drew Brees in the long term. Clearly, that's not the case right now. So now you're looking at that pick as a bust, and you're basically back to square one, thinking who's going to be the long-term successor at that position, which... Honestly, I'll say it's not the worst thing in the world because I don't think Saints fans had a lot of confidence in Grayson. And now maybe you look at this coming year's draft and maybe you make a move for one of these guys like a Deshaun Watson, maybe a Baker Mayfield, and then you give that one 2 years tutelage under Drew Brees. I think just all the pieces at that quarterback position seem to be fitting a bit better right now than they were maybe yesterday afternoon.
3: Yeah, and I always think that a bust at quarterback's a little bit forgiv- more forgivable. Even a third rounder, I think it was worth a risk. I think that they they must have seen some things they like in him. I don't mind you know exploring it. And he get, it was a perfect situation for him to come in and learn. And it, if he couldn't do it, I mean, he's probably not going to do it anywhere. I wouldn't think.
1: Well, that's true. If yeah. you can't learn behind Drew Brees right. for two years with no pressure and develop no and pressure. grow with right. Sean Payton, then yep. yeah, I don't know how much hope there is at finding another spot but again that was another pick i think from the beginning you didn't really see a lot of elite nfl talent in grayson and that sounds harsh but i didn't know enough about him may, maybe there is some of that that front office scouting talent personnel where you look at, at the construction of a roster and one of the quickest paths to mediocrity in the nfl is missing out on high draft picks and we've seen the Saints do it unfortunately way too often I can say that because the closest NFL team to Columbus
3: is, is Cleveland. So they're the kings we, we of kinda have missing. that experience yeah. up here. Oh boy. Yeah, they're the worst. I mean since they've come into the league in ninety nine, I mean they're Joe Thomas and everyone else from especially in the first round. It's brutal pick after brutal pick. Whew, Cleveland. I I had uh um Aaron shots from Football outsiders out here, and he on here, and he was we were talking about the 77 simulations where the Browns win the Super Bowl this year. And um, 77 out of a million, how many? A million.
1: Oh, a million. Wow, I was thinking at least a trillion. You get you know, some of those numbers that don't even have words. That's that's actually much better odds than I thought it might be.
3: Yeah, a million. So it's like one, they're like one out of every 1300 or something like that. It's awful awful odds but i was like i'd just love to see what one of those simulated seasons i'd like to see it play out like that'd be a we would be in for one wild year right if the browns end up winning this because i mean that theoretically it will happen 77 well you. think
1: about it you have the Cavs pulling off their miraculous title you've got the indians in first place
3: it's a perfect year it's all cleveland <laughs>
1: maybe if this is cleveland's year i don't know maybe <laughs> maybe terrell Pryor has a jerry rice type season maybe rg3 has a a Kurt Warner like comeback. I will say, you know, if you look at what the Browns have done this offseason, they seem to have purpose and direction for the first time in a long time. And that at least says something for where they are as a franchise. Hugh Jackson, I think, is much better as a head coach hire than what they've had in recent years. And, you know, RG3, maybe he's a subgap, But for Cleveland, and this is for the fan base, I think, as well as the team they need to believe in something. And I think Hugh Jackson at least offers that something that they can believe in to see that there is some kind of vision here. And, you know, maybe, maybe the Sabre metrics and maybe the baseball approach doesn't pan out quite the way they're envisioning, but I at least credit the Browns for trying something different instead of going to stopgap after stopgap and just rebooting the whole thing after one or
3: two years. Right. And, and like you said, they're looking for optimism. Football Outsiders offer 77 reasons for optimism. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the number. And maybe that's the science. Ohio State put up 77 points and we one, I don't know. That's right. Well, you, so you're down in Columbus. Tell me something to excite me about Mike Thomas or the, the D-back that we got from Ohio State. Michael Thomas, I, I look at him at Ohio State, and that offense
1: last year especially – Jackson Miller had to get his touches. Zeke Elliott had to get his touches. Jalen Marshall had to get his touches. There were so many weapons on that offense that I think Michael Thomas was kind of hidden from from everyone. But when you watched him play, what I saw was as complete a receiver as I've seen come through Ohio State in years and years. And for the Saints to get him in week two, or in, in round two, was a seal among steals, I think he's going to be a solid guy, multiple Pro Bowl guy in this league for years to come because he's he's just the total package at receiver. And I just don't think he got the chance to shine at Ohio State like he might have gotten at other places because that offense was so stacked with so many weapons. But from the moment that he set foot in camp and throughout the preseason, he's been a star, and I, I see no reason why he can't, get that torch for Marcus Colson and go forward as a number one or number two guy along with Brandon Cook for that team for a long, long time to come. Von Bell, you know, he hasn't been as flashy as Michael Thomas, but this is a guy who made some very big plays for that Buckeye defense, and I think the Saints need some playmaking ability, especially in the secondary. So those are two guys I'm really excited about being in the fold down in the Big Easy
3: what are the plans at Awful Announcing for covering the NFL and uh, the comeback for that matter this season?
1: So we've got lots of good content coming up. I, I think, you know, a couple of years ago we did the the very fun series that was looking at every single pregame show, which we, we almost killed Kim Sang's spirit, I think, by going through some of those. So we might do a, a comeback with with some of the pregame shows and some analysis, especially with so many of the new hires, ESPN, Sunday NFL Countdown, it's basically a new show in its entirety with all of the changes that have been made there around Chris Berman. So we'll definitely keep a close eye on that. We'll keep a close eye on the daily fantasy stories and some of the ad spending. I think I had an article earlier this week on Awful Announcing that the Labor Day spending for DraftKings and FanDuel from 2015 to 2016, was down $1.5 million. How incredible is that? So we'll be watching some of those stories on the media side. Of course, Thursday Night Football, the debut of streaming games on Twitter, that's going to be a big story. And then on the comeback, we're going to have some weekly features. One of my favorite uh, is This Week in NFL Stupid. So kind of taking a look at some of the the bonehead blooper plays from the week. That'll be kind of a cool weekly feature. And then we'll have some various power rankings and other insights analysis as well. Got a really great NFL group, Ty Schalter, Andrew Hanks, who you've probably read at Bleacher Report, uh, some of our writers in the fold. So definitely excited about the the NFL plans that we have.
3: So give me your most optimistic and your least optimistic predictions for the Saints. Most
1: optimistic and least optimistic? I mean, I'm, I'm an
3: optimistic guy at heart, so I
1: say... Dennis Allen and the Saints defense, they have a resurrection. Michael Thomas wins rookie of the year. The Saints air it out. Mark Ingram rushes for 1,000 yards. Jari Evans finds the fountain of youth. And they go 16-0 and win the Super Bowl. I mean, how, how could any Saints fan have anything less optimistic than that? Um... Maybe maybe not all the way 16 but I will say
2: the Super Bowl
1: right. out there, that's my most optimistic, crazed, biased uh, Saints fan. Least optimistic, you've got a team with quite a few number of holes. And I think looking at some of the roster transitions just in this past week, I mean, you've got a new kicker, you've got a new defensive linemen, you've got uh, a 10-year veteran that you cut before the season that's coming back. I haven't seen anything like this in a number of years in terms of, so many drastic roster changes right before the season starts. Um, maybe you're looking at another 7-9 and nine season if all goes well. I think the defense can't get any worse than they were last year, but that offensive line has been so key for Drew Brees and Sean Payton and this offense, and really the success of this team. It's been a winch and I look around the league. The offensive line is such an underrated part of, of the game of football and and I just think you build a team from the inside out. And when the Saints were at their best, they had a dominant offensive line that could provide balance in the run of the pass game and keep Drew Brees on his feet. If Brees is under pressure, if this team turns one-dimensional, we might see some more performances where maybe they're putting up 10 points in a game, 13 points, 6 points. I just don't know if there's that kind of talent on the offensive line to keep the offense going where they can score 30, 40 points every game. And even if the defense improves, you know, maybe you're looking at a a unit that could be ranked 20th in the league. So least optimistic, you're probably looking at seven and nine, six and 10 again. And then there's going to be some big, big questions after the year is over because if the season goes that way, then you're looking at breeze once again, maybe a lame duck. You're looking at Sean Payton saying, was that you know smart to commit to him once again? and then you're looking at the long-term future of the franchise. So uh, I'm holding out hope given we are in an optimistic 24-hour cycle with the, the contract and bringing Jari Evans back. But it remains to be seen. I, I think right now I'd probably lean towards the, the lesser optimistic side. But we're Saints fans. We always hold out hope even in the days of Billy Joe Hobert and Billy Joe Tolliver and Keith <laughs> Juehler and Danny Werfel. I mean, there's always that hope that springs eternal for Saints
3: fans, I think. Uh, you should have seen me trying to explain the kicking situation to my wife yesterday.
1: How how bizarre is that? Because is I said to Google what what, what was it? Will Foltz? F- I think that's his name, right? Yeah. From Georgia State. I mean, I I think I'm an NFL fan. I think I'm a Saints fan. I'm thinking who? <laughs> who 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 is this guy? He was how many field goals did he miss in college? And then you look at the quote today, and Sean Payton says, he had the best kicking workout I've ever seen. So Man, what I, does that mean? I mean it, it sounds like something George Plumpton might have wrote. I don't know. I mean, is this you know, a Sid Finch type guy, who knows? Maybe what? he can kick the ball 80 yards. I, I don't know. I, I would like to see what made that kicking workout the best he's ever seen, where you cut last year's kicker, who won the job in preseason. And, oh, by the way, the guy he beat is now – Replacing Robbie Gold in Chicago, who's been one of the league's most consistent kickers for the last decade, so who knows what you know Golden
3: shoes has here? But I'll, I'll be interested to see it in Week One. Yeah, well, he said that about Dolphin Bro too. Remember, it was just the best workout he ever seen from a corner. So, well, and that worked, and that out, worked out, out well. So maybe so. we have the next Morton Anderson here. Maybe that could be. All right. Well, you can find Matt uh, writing his articles on the comeback and awful announcing. Uh, you can follow those on Twitter at TheComeback and at awful announcing. Easy there. And you can follow Matt himself on Twitter at M-Y-O-D-E-R 84. Uh, thanks for doing this again, and uh, go Saints. Absolutely, and we'll hope for
1: that Super Bowl season, and if not we'll be back here again next year talking about who's going to be the Saints quarterback of the future, and we'll just keep going, I guess, with this. It kind of seems like we've been at this point the last couple of years with the 7-9 and team wondering which direction we're going to go. I think it's going to go one way or the other with this team this year. Either we'll see that step up and they mix this young nucleus back with a leader like Drew Brees and maybe they take that step back to playoff contention or maybe next year we're finally looking at that rebuild. Either way, it's going to be an interesting and and fun season for the Saints. I'm looking forward to following every step of the
3: way. Well, if Saints fans think we've been a little bit hesitant or a little bit maybe even not as optimistic as you would hope, if you listen to Matt and I's conversation from two years ago, and you, uh, if you want to hear misguided optimism at its finest, I mean, I think I uttered the words greatest Saints team in August ever. And I, I mean, that's my, it ended up being my most hated Saints team I, in the I, Drew Brees I era. Still, so, so.
1: I think I still have the bust made for Brandon Cooks that was going to put him in Canton. Mm-hmm. Because wow. I had him in the Hall of Fame after seeing practice two years ago, so so yeah, it is kind of nice that we've come
3: maybe full circle a bit from from that summer. Keep, hang on to that bus, though. I still like Brandon Cooks quite a bit. So. <laughs> it could still happen. It's, yeah, don't throw that out just, down yeah. in the basement. It's, it's still there. It's All right, so talk to you later, bud. All right, thanks. Always a pleasure. I want to thank Matt Yoder for being on the podcast today. I also want to thank Trey Wingo. Don't forget you can find this podcast and all of our podcasts on our website www.sports-casters.com You can also follow us on Twitter at sports underscore casters and at sports. You can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com And uh, in the near future, really soon, we're going to be making a big switch over to SoundCloud. Um, So we'll let you know when we do it, but if we have any difficulties or any Technical glitches making the switch will ask for your patience.
0: Yeah, it's mostly for ease on our end, so we don't have anything like the RSS problem last week.
3: So we're just kind of moving it over, but we'll let you know if it
0: matters. Right. Hopefully it's seamless. Uh, One last thing for me this week. I'm not saying anything new or revolutionary or anything, like, controversial, but uh, Stranger Things on Netflix is awesome. I don't know if you ended up watching it yet. I haven't watched it yet, no. I didn't. I don't know that you would love it necessarily. It's science fictiony. Uh, it's we talked about this a little bit after the podcast last week that I, I'm not a big fan of the movies that it supposedly is kind of like what's the word spoofing or yeah not spoofing quite because it's not a comedy but yeah it, it it's paying tribute to I guess would be the, but I I loved it it it's only eight episodes so it's a real easy six w- so it's only
3: eight okay it's yeah eight. it's right. real
0: easy watch. I don't even think they're an hour apiece. They're, they are may be close to that, but uh, we watched it, I think in two or three nights, it feels like, like a movie kind of like, it's like an eight hour movie and it's awesome. And I'd be interested, maybe, maybe one of our listeners can send something and I'd be interested to have like, send me a link to an article that explains like these tributes or homages that I'm supposed to know about. Cause I mean, some of them, like I could get kind of ET, I can get maybe like poltergeist, but like, I'm not a big fan of, like, those movies, but I was a huge fan of this. But I'd be interested now, in hindsight, to read about what they were. Like I said, it's almost universally liked. I just don't know that it'd be in your wheelhouse in particular. Like, I love Firefly, but I don't know that I would recommend it to you necessarily.
3: I'm sure I'll get to it. You know, sometimes if something's in my wheelhouse, like making a murderer, and I just couldn't find a connection to it. Yeah, like okay. I bailed on it. Like I just wasn't interested. Like,
0: is there a science fiction movie like that? It's back that to the gets Future you? count? Yeah, yeah. I guess that would count.
3: I mean, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Okay, so that
0: that's a little bit more on the nerdy side. But this is definitely it's kind of like a horror. Almost, I'm not into horror movies at all, so I don't think that is a thing. Did you like Super Eight? Yes. I would feel like it's kind of like Super Eight. Yeah, like that's kind of the vibe I get from it. It's a little more tense and creepy than Super Eight, but like it's not gory at in the least and it's got funny parts and the kids are awesome and it it's really good i'd recommend it
3: two things got him on that front one i finished deadwood and deadwood is very good but it definitely sucks the way it ends yeah like, but you just, knew that right you knew that I knew that going, going in, into it, yeah. you know i knew that it thought they was getting a fourth season and then got canceled abruptly yeah so they ended thinking it was coming back it felt very much like you watched a season finale, not a series finale. Sure. you know, So that's definitely how it ends. And then the other thing is I started season two of Narcos on I've heard that's Netflix, and that's whew, so good. One last thing for me today, and we talked about it a little bit with Matt Yoder and even a little bit with Trey Wingo, but I can't explain to you the relief I felt yesterday when I knew that, I didn't have to go into this season watching every game that the Saints played as if it was one of the last games Drew Brees had left as a Saint. Because Saints fans knew that if he got into this season playing the last year of his deal, it was going to be really difficult to keep him. Really? Because it would have been like a $45 million franchise tag or something. Okay. I mean, so you couldn't – that wouldn't have been an option. So you essentially would have had a, like – try to sign him versus everyone.
0: Yeah. As an outsider, without a, without a good quarterback in a long time, hopefully uh, Tyrod is that I don't expect him to be breeze, but you know what I mean? Um, I just assume that he's going to play there until like there's until he's done.
3: Well, I think they really wanted him to do something for the team in that sense. And he did. I just wanted to make this point about why this is so important to me. And it's not even just about Drew Brees being perfect, but the first season I watched the Saints was nineteen eighty seven, so we'll start there. And I'll read you the quarterbacks that were that started games for the Saints before Drew Brees, okay? Bobby Abear, John Fourcade, Bobby Aber, Bobby Abor, John Fourcade, Steve Walsh, John Forcade, Bobby Aber, Steve Walsh, Bobby Aber Wade Wilson, Mike Buck, Steve Walsh. Jim Everett, Jim Everett, Jim Everett, Doug Neusmeyer. Heath Schuler, Billy Joe Hobart, Danny Werfel, Doug Neusmeyer. Kerry Collins, Danny Werfel, Billy Joe Tolliver, Billy Joe Hobart. Billy Joe Tolliver, Billy Joe Hobart, Jake DeLome. Jeff Blake, Aaron, Aaron, Brooks. Brooks. Aaron, Brooks, Aaron Brooks. Aaron Brooks, Aaron Brooks, Aaron Brooks, Aaron Brooks, Aaron Brooks, and Todd Bowman. And then Drew Brees. It was so hard. So hard to get that guy.
0: Yeah, you know what? I don't know how much you want to go into this or how long you want this segment to be, but I was wondering about that. Is that how every team's thing kind of reads when you like?
3: Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, sometimes you're in Indianapolis and you get Peyton Manning, and then you get Andrew Luck right after.
0: Yeah, that. Yeah, I guess that's true. Sometimes
3: you have Brad Favre, and then you get Aaron Rodgers right after. But sometimes Jim Kelly walks away, and you're still 16, trying to replace him. Sixteen later. years later. Yeah. You know, and for the Saints, I mean, you want to say, you want to say like Archie Manning was good. Fine. Well, he left after the 1981 season, so the next time there's any semblance of good quarterbacking for the team, it's Bobby Epar in '87. You know, and then of course he misses the 1990 season because a holdout. Yeah, the Bills and. You know, the and Bills then, and
0: Saints are similar there, except for the Bills never got their title. But Jim Kelly is the best; that's undisputed. Drew Brees is the best; that's undisputed. Yeah. But if you go to like like the third best Bills quarterback of all time, it might be somebody like Doug Flutie, like or uh, Drew Bledsoe, who is thought more of as a Patriot. Like it gets bad quick.
3: Well, so you're saying Jack Kemp is second best?
0: I, I never saw him play, obviously, but that would be my assumption that most okay. people would say. Yeah.
3: So yeah, yeah, third is third is.
0: I mean, Bledsoe had a monster year one year. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't take much for Tyrod Taylor to be the third best quarterback. Third on the might
3: team. be um, Joe Ferguson.
0: Right again before me, right? But
3: um, uh, all right. Last thought on this about Drew Brees because there's been a lot of Drew Brees on this show, but like when you think about your life and like what you've been passionate about in life, like one of the top things in my life I've been passionate about is the Saints, and. I was just as passionate about the Saints when Billy Joe Tolliver was the quarterback or Doug Meyer who I admit I don't remember. <laughs> uh, but if you would have told me in 2005, the year that Aaron Brooks was kind of dragging through the end of his career, and I didn't hate Aaron Brooks. He was much better than people give him credit for. Yeah. He kind of had a two cent head, but he is physically gifted, and he won the playoff game for the Saints, and it's the first playoff game the Saints ever won. And we were contenders for a few years after with Breeze or with Brooks before Breeze came. But if you would have said, here, look at just write down the qualities you want in the in the guy that will be the face of your passion. I mean, like those would be everything that Drew Breeze is. I mean, that's what you would, that's how you would draw it up. You know, you would want a guy who was willing to live in the city that works out with the wide receivers at his expense in the off season, you know, that walks home from practice and lets little kids follow him and stops at Jimmy John's and buys all the kids Jimmy John's that he owns in the community and signs autographs in Cleveland for the Saints fans that are there before the opening game. And, who comes out after every game, I watch every press conference, and I can never tell if we won or lost from his demeanor in the press conference. He's always even-keeled. He's always respectful to the media. You know, your parents, like, say how they like him. Like, other fans of other teams, like, he's very rarely does anyone dislike him. I mean, he's he's just a dream athlete, you know, and I was thinking about, my other passions in life and like Pearl Jam being one. And I think like Eddie Vedder is like a dream frontman, You know, Michael Cree is a dream guitar player. Like I couldn't imagine the Rolling Stones being my passion and having to like deal with the shenanigans of Keith Richards and (laughs) Mick Jagger. You know, instead we have these guys who like totally respect what they do and respect the people who given them the opportunity to do it. And, They often get asked to, like, induct them in the Hall of Fame. You know, you always hear about the good things they do. It's like, it's a dream. They're, they're like, dream people for that. And, like, Drew Brees is the dream quarterback. He's, like, and it's been two or three years now where after every game, the first thing I think of is, oh, man, we're one game closer to not having that guy anymore. You know, and and Marcus Colston, in a lot of ways, is a dream wide receiver. And Sunday's going to be the first game since 2006 without Marcus Colston, and that's a bummer. But Marcus Colston, for as much as I loved him and as much as I named my dog after him, he's not Drew Brees. There's, just, there's only one Drew Brees, and there'll only always be one Drew Brees. Listen to this Don. He came in, in 2006, started 16 games in 2006, 16 games in 2007, 16 games in 2008. 15 games in 2009 because Peyton didn't let him play the last game before the playoffs. 16 games in 2010. 16 games in 2011. Wow. 16 games in 2012. 16 games in 2013. 16 games in 2014. And finally, 15 games again in 2015.
0: And this is from a guy that's six foot six flat. flat. Yeah.
3: He started every game as the same but two and only one because of injury and one because of Coach's decision. He answers the belt every week no matter how good the team is or how bad the team is. He's passed for 4,500 yards seven times. No other player in the league has done it that many. Peyton Manning has done it six times. He's got five of the eight 5,000-yard seasons in the history of the league. No one's done it twice. I mean, and he's done all of this by maintaining every ounce of dignity and class. And, of course, something can happen. I don't know him personally. I just... I'll acknowledge that just as a small disclaimer, but I mean, it's been a dream come true.